listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, each and every day, we are exposed, the best I can tell, to about 5,000 messages. You know, they come in all different ways. There's, you drive down the street, there's billboards, your radio is on, there's the, the mail, the TV commercials, newspapers, magazines, signs and banners. Uh, you can't hardly play a game on your phone now without getting bombarded with commercials. In fact, they've gotten so good, you can surf the internet on your tablet, your computer, or on your phone, and they will plug in messages for you to see advertisements as you're going through all kinds of social media. Not only is it 5,000 kind of communications, messages that we see every day, the, the spectrum of what they are, all kinds of things about wellness, whether it's diet or exercise or recipes, I didn't know if you've noticed lately, but there's even a few people running for some uh, political offices. And there's just a few uh, political ads out there that are running on all types of media. Cell phone couriers. You can get recommendations on food and restaurants. Uh, insurance is one I saw this week. All kinds of messages about uh, communication on purchases like clothes and houses and cars. In fact, have you seen the new GMC Hummer EV? If you haven't, uh, that'd be a great Christmas present for me. All pulled together and somebody order that uh, for me. Or what about medication, retirement? Just <coughs> all kinds of messages about trying to gain our attention because they know this. Anyone out there knows if I can get your attention, if I can get your attention long enough, I've got a great chance of influencing your thoughts and eventually your actions. And that's what all these communications are about. In fact, many things are out there trying to gain your attention because that can happen. If they can gain it long enough, they can influence your thoughts and actions. And this is where John begins today. Because look at verse 11, how he begins. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And I believe John's readers are like us. They are hearing all kinds of messages, many of them conflicting messages with one another. And so John wants to make sure, he wants to shout his message that we will hear today to make sure it does not get drowned out by all the noise. So he says, this is the message. This is it from the beginning that you have been hearing. And then he gives it to you. That you should love one another. And I believe if there is a message that our world and, and our country and the church and our homes needs to hear today. It's this message about loving one another. In fact, look at what he'll say. In fact, if you were to look through these next eight verses, he will use this word eight times. And every time he will talk about love in the exact same context, he's going to use the word agape. 
which is a word that means a, a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that sees others before themselves. It's a love that says, I'm here for someone other than me. And every time John is going to use that definition. In fact, he says, this is something I've been saying from the beginning that Jesus has even been saying from the beginning because he says, he is the one that I got it from. In fact, we see this scene. In fact, if you were here last week for Bible study, it's the scene in the upper room with Jesus in John chapter 13. That John heard this from Jesus himself. In fact, it reads this way in John's gospel. Jesus says to them that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. In fact, that is the very last message that Jesus will give the disciples in the upper room before his denial, before his arrest, before his beating, before his humiliation, and before his crucifixion. This is the last message that Jesus says to them, love one another. But picture that scene for just a moment. They're in the upper room. They're all sitting around together and John is there reclining with all of them. And John hears Jesus. He sees, he hears these words come out of his mouth. He even knows the tone that it was said. And he can see Jesus' face in the expression that he has when he says, this is the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And for John, John heard those words. In that moment, he saw the expression on Jesus' face. And for John, he believed them. And from that moment on, John wrapped his entire life around those words. This rough, gruff fisherman from Galilee sits in this room, hears Jesus say this. And from that moment on, John has never forgot those words and he wraps his entire life around them. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we actually took even some of the sayings, some of the phrases, some of the teachings of Jesus and actually did that? Believed them enough that we wrapped our entire lives around them. But that's what John does. In fact, John is about to move into now four examples of this love that he's talking about or this phrase, this command, love one another. And to make his point, he's actually going to draw upon some, some real life examples. But John's going to start in a very unusual place because he's got so many positive examples that John could draw from. But John does the exact opposite. Because look at the first example. He's going to use murder as an example. Beginning now in verse 12. He says, but we should not to be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So for exhibit number one, John uses murder. And I kept thinking, why in the world would he use this as an example of love one another? But to see it, we have to revisit the scene. You see it back in Genesis 
chapter 4. It's the story, if you grow up hearing it, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, the oldest, the firstborn. And it tells us he was a, a worker of the ground, of the field. He, he was a farmer. Well, there's a younger brother named Abel. And Abel was, it says, a keeper of the sheep. So he was the shepherd. And the day comes where they both bring an offering to God. Cain brings his veggies and Abel brings the meat. And it says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And have you ever wondered why that was? Why was Cain's rejected and why did he, he accept Abel's? They both bring an offering from their labors, from what they did for a living. But it doesn't explicitly tell us. But here's one reason. One reason perhaps could be this, is that Cain and Abel would have both grown up under the teaching, the guidance, the discipleship of Adam and Eve. One of the things they would have been telling them was the story about when sin first entered the world and God did something for us. We had our eyes open, we, we realized we were naked, and God uh, killed an animal to provide clothing. And they would have grown up knowing about the sacrifice of an animal in order to create coverings. And if Cain knew that then he would be disobeying God by bringing his veggies. But the best reason is you see in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter of the cloud of witnesses, in verse 11 it says this about Abel. It says, by faith Abel offered his sacrifice. So what we know is that Abel, he trusted God at his word. He believed uh, that God's demands were right, that God knew best, that God deserved full obedience. So somehow, on the other hand, Cain did not. Perhaps he believed that his labor of his hands was good enough. So he brought that and he didn't follow God's uh, commands of bringing a sacrifice. But the point is what happens to Cain. Notice it says he becomes jealous. From that point, it doesn't stop there. He then becomes angry. But in verse, or chapter 4, verse 6, there's something that I think I, I, think I once know, knew, but, but I almost forgot. And it's this interaction between God and Cain. Because you know that what happens, I bring the sacrifice, and we kind of jump to the end of it where Cain kills Abel. But look at verse 6 and 7 of Genesis 4. It said, the Lord comes to Cain. And he said to him, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So in that transition, God goes to Cain and warns him that sin is crouching at the door. If you are not careful, it will overtake you. But Cain does not listen to the warning. So in verse 8, Cain goes to his brother. He speaks to him. And when they were in the field, it says that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. That's a very polite interpretation of that word. It literally means to slaughter. That he slit his brother's 
throat. So why in the world would John use such a graphic and horrific example of when he had just said, love one another? Well, I'll be one reason is, I believe he wants to begin with a contrast. He wants to paint two different things that are totally opposite of each other. That jealousy leads to hatred and hatred leads to murder. That this is the darkest, I think the most evil example that John could think of. In fact, I think this is the level where Satan actually loves to exist. In fact, John will go on in his gospel in chapter 8, verse 44. He'll say, the devil is a murderer. But there's another reason. I believe John is using this example to show us the very first, the original impact of sin after the fall when God uh, kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Because what we see is that Cain and Abel, they were the very first two people. They were the first two people born into sin. It doesn't even take long that two people born into sin and it leads in death. These were the first two, the first two that were born into sin and it ends in death. But do you remember what Cain said to God? God comes looking for Cain. Knows where he is, but he comes looking for him and he, he asks him, Where's your brother? And he knows exactly where Abel is. But you remember what Cain said to him? Cain says to God, and he asks him a question actually. He says, Am I my brother's keeper? But God doesn't outright answer him. So I want you to remember that as we look at example number two. In verse 13, the example uh, John is going to draw on, so he's used murder. Now he's going to talk about hatred. Because look at verse 13. It says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So what John does, he's kind of giving a side note here. Probably some background conversations are going on that maybe we're not aware of. And he adds the side note, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Remember, we've already talked about this idea of world. It can mean a lot of different things. Here it means the evil force that exists in the world. I think John is painting the picture that it's normal to hate. Because he's just given us an example of Cain and Abel, the first two born into sin, and it doesn't take long that we already have murder. That he is showing that hate, being born into sin, is very natural. But what is abnormal is actually loving. So he says, Don't be surprised. I think this is a good reminder for us today. And I think what he would go on to tell us is this is that we should be grieved. We should be grieved over sin. We should be grieved over hate. We should be grieved over evil, but not surprised. And the reason I think we need to be reminded of this is because we should be grieved over things like hatred or injustice, discrimination, moral failure, but not surprised. And I say that because when the world, and we look at the world, and we hold up certain standards... When we take the world that isn't following biblical commands, we shouldn't be surprised when they don't. We should be grieved, but not surprised. But when leaders, when, when they don't live up to the biblical standards or biblical principles, we should be grieved, 
But we shouldn't be surprised when the world does not value life in the way that the Bible says that we should. We should be grieved, but not surprised. Because, I think John would add this to us, and why he is telling us this is if we think about it long enough. I think it's because if we expect the world, or we expect countries, or we expect governments, or or, uh, political parties, or people in leadership, if we expect them who are not following God to actually follow biblical commands or, or principles, we can be easily moved to anger. And when anger gives birth, it quickly moves to hate. So yes, we should be grieved. But we have to be careful that we're not surprised because if we get surprised at that, we can easily become angered and anger can easily lead to hate. So John then shows why loving others is so abnormal for the world in verse 14. Because we know that we believers have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so the reason, the reason that believers are able to do this, that, that it's unnatural when you look at the world. When we love in a, an unnormal way. The reason isn't because there's something really special in us. The reason is because of something happened to us. As believers, it says we have passed out of death the old, into life. And John is describing the conversion process of salvation. Because once again, over and over, John is making this claim of loving others, and this will not be the last time we hear it, that our actions do not make us Christians. Man, you could love someone, and that will not make you a Christian. You could give all of your money away and that will not make you a Christian. You could stand up and and picket. You could stand up and, and have protests. You can do all of the right things. Perhaps for all the right reasons. But that will never be enough to make you a Christian. There's only one thing that John has said over and over to make us a Christian. And that is faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. But over and over John is saying, but what you do is evidence of a change that has happened to you. And John makes that again. But then John makes a very, very bold claim. I think the readers are thinking, okay, John, you know, I have not murdered anyone, so therefore this doesn't apply to me. But notice what he says in verse 15. If anyone hates his brother, notice what they are. He says, you're a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if anyone hates, if you've ever hated, John says that you are a liar. And because of that, you are a murderer. So how in the world can John say this? And the reason is because Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. Where he does the exact same thing. Where he takes murder, talking about this, that hatred is the spiritual equivalent to murder. So I think John is showing us that what makes an an act sinful is not necessarily the act itself. It's the motive behind it. But notice what John has just said. If anyone who hates his brother, they're a murderer. 
The spiritual equivalent of that. And they, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what does John mean by this? That no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Because if hate is equivalent to murder, then you could substitute that and say anyone who hates does not have eternal life abiding in him. So does that mean if, if I've hated that I'm not a believer or I'm not a Christian? Does that mean a murderer could never be a believer? But notice carefully, John does not say anyone who hates or murders cannot have eternal life. He says that eternal life is not abiding, and there's John's word again, abiding in him. I think John is saying if we hate if in our hearts, if we're hating other people, our hearts are not right and we are no longer abiding in the eternal life or in Jesus Christ. That in that moment, we're not believing, we're not trusting, we are not living in the truth as we should. And so, so far, John's already used two examples, murder and hate. And if John stopped right there, we could probably feel pretty good about ourselves. Okay, I, I haven't murdered anybody. You know, yeah, I might have hated, but hey, the good news is I didn't act on it. They're still breathing. If John stopped right there, we might could feel pretty good about ourselves. So John's going to give a third example, and this one is hard to escape. It's the, the issue, the example of indifference. Because look at verse 16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But just for a moment. Pause and think about this from John's eyes. Because John. He sat around in that table. In the upper room with Jesus. He watched as Jesus stood up and he took off his outer garment and tied it around his waist. And he got down on his knees and one by one went around and washed the disciples' feet. John was there and he heard Jesus say with his own mouth, I give you a new commandment to love one another. He saw the expression on his face. And when John heard those words, he believed them. And for the rest of his life, he dedicated his life to that, to love others. But John is also with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there when Jesus prayed that very intimate prayer to his father. As Jesus was being betrayed, John was there and he watched it all happen. In fact, John was there when Jesus was brought before the high priest. He was able to go in and and see the fiasco that was taking place. But it's a scene we read about from John. In John chapter 19. That has really gripped me this week. It's in verses 25 and 27. And it's actually the crucifixion of Jesus. I read it over and over again this week. Because you know what? John was there. John was at the very foot of of the cross that I believe John was closer than anyone maybe other than Mary 
In fact, he is so close that he can hear Jesus whisper some words. John is there hanging at the foot of the cross. He is there as they put Jesus on it, as they nailed him to it, and his blood drained down from his body onto the cross, onto the ground. John is right there at the foot of it. He's just below it, looking up, watching Jesus die. The Christ, the Messiah, the King of the Jews was dying for the sins of the world, just like he said he would. But it's in that moment, I really believe something in John changed. I believe it is in that moment that John is at the foot of the cross, that John realizes something. John is looking up, watching Jesus die, watching the Messiah die on the cross, just like he said that he would for the sins of the world. And John realized, wait, that includes my sins too. That John is at the foot of the cross realizing, I am also the one that is killing this man. That Jesus was taking death not just for the world, but John is realizing he is also dying and taking on death for me personally. Therefore, I think that is why John talks more about love than any other writer. In fact, I think it's because after this moment... I believe John was never the same. And John has had five or six decades to think about and allow this to process within him. So when John pens, begins to touch paper, and he begins to write these words, I believe John could see Jesus once again. They could hear him say, love one another. It was in those moments when Jesus was dying that John was never the same the same. John is going to go on to say, because of what Jesus did, we can know love. And every time he's been using the same word agape. And we know it and we've heard it say, oh, it's that self-sacrificing, that that self-giving love. But you know what? The word had been around since the creation of the Greek language. It always been there. But it's in that moment For John is at the foot of the cross watching all of this take place and coming to the realization that Jesus isn't just dying for the world. He's dying for me. It isn't just the Roman soldiers that put him on the cross. It was me. I believe it's in that moment that word agape took on a whole new meaning and has now for a thousand years. Because when the cross happened, that word agape took on a whole new meaning. So with this picture in view, John says this in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's deeds and sees his brother in need yet closes, or the the word means to slam the door shut of his heart against him, how in the world, how does God's word abide in him? So I think the message is super clear. If you're in Christ, if you are a true believer, if you are a genuine Christian, and we see someone in need, how in the world can we close our hearts to them? 
So I want to point out just a couple of important things about what John has just said. One is, notice the description he uses, if anyone has the world's goods. Just so that no one gets to exclude himself, John puts this in because he's not talking about the rich. He's not talking about those that have plenty of resources, uh, that have plenty of money. The world's deeds is talking about the average person. Ordinary people who have what they need. But then he says, sees. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother. Because he chooses this word. He's not talking about a casual glance. It's a careful awareness of the situation. It means that we should be on the lookout for people in need. That we should take the time when we see the need to take the time to understand it. But I want you to notice the very subtle difference in the words that he uses at the beginning of verse 17. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother. But if you back up to the previous verse, he's just said, by this we know, by what Jesus did, we know love. That he laid down his life for us. That we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But then when he gets to verse 17, he says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. So we ought to lay down our lives for brothers, but sees his brother in need. Because I think it is really easy. It's really easy to get behind a cause. It's really easy to say, you know, I, I, I love everyone. I mean, God's called me to love everyone. And, and yes, I love everyone. I, I love humanity. I'm for all of these causes. But it is so much harder to really care about an individual. It's easy to say that we love everyone. But I think that could be an excuse for not loving anyone in particular. Think it's easy to say we love everyone, but it's seen how we individually love other people. And so the third example he uses is indifference. Okay, so maybe I don't murder. I got that one covered. Well, I have hated, but I didn't act on it. But what about indifference? Because indifference simply means not caring that much. Or maybe not willing to really put much forth effort in caring for other people. We're not doing any harm. But are we really doing good? So I think John's point is that you don't have to murder in order to sin. You don't have to hate in order to sin. All we have to do is ignore people. Or be indifferent towards their needs. That's all we have to do. But then in verse 18... In fact, it's so strange. He he spends the last seven verses building to this point, but then it's so short. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I think it is so short, it maybe seems to be so simple, it's because the message is so profound. Because as believers, as, as Christians... As followers of Christ, he says you are born out of death into life so that we can love in a way that is abnormal 
to the world. In fact, a Christian's love, it shows us it should act. It should give. It should express itself genuinely towards others. So let me define it by the way C.H. Dodd does. He said love. Love is a willingness. A willingness to surrender, to give that which has value to your life. To enrich the life of another. Think about all the things in your life that add value. That you hold dear. That you would be a mess without. He says, take that and enrich others with the same. In fact, this will not be the last time that John's going to talk about this idea of loving one another. But what might this look like? What might this mean for us in 2020? Well, one thing would be this. I think first, John is painting this very contrasting picture of death and life, of hate and murder and love. I think one of the things we need to remind ourselves that in every situation we're in, every conversation that we're going to take place over the next week, we have an opportunity. In every interaction, you can either breathe life or death into people's lives just by the words that we say or we type. We're going to be faced with countless opportunities this week. Where we can either say something that will breathe life or death into a person. It could be simply with our children. Man, that anger begins welling up and we've got opportunity. Am I going to speak life or death into them? Or with our spouse. With some political post or some tension that happens. We can respond with either breathing life or death. Thinks that's a question we need to be constantly asking ourselves before we say something or before we type, before we send that email or that post or whatever it is. I mean, am I breathing life or death in this situation? But another thing to remember is that Christian love that is abnormal in the world, you're going to seem like a freak. It requires sacrifice and service. And John has said that over and over again. Because he gave us the example of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just show us and make it possible to love. He gives us an example to follow. If you're truly going to be like John. Then take these words and believe them. And wrap your life around them. Loving others. It'll create sacrifice. And it'll need service. But here's the third thing. Christian love. Abnormal to the world. It's personal. And it's active. Because <clears throat> Christian love, it is abnormal as we've seen over and over again. And I think John is telling us it's not enough just to love people in general. But are we truly seeing people? Sometimes it might be a financial need. That's going to happen from time to time. And maybe God lays it upon your heart to minister, to love someone in that way. I'll never forget it several years ago. I went to put gas in my car. I still have one of those old school ones. You actually have to reach up and open the thing. You don't have a fancy button. Open it up. And someone had put a $20 bill in that. I don't know who they were. But man, somebody just seeing someone and spoke into a need financially. 
But that isn't all there is. Think about all the ways that have, things that have added value to your life. Through Christ, what has he done that has given value to your life? I wrote down several for me to think about this week. Christ's love adds value to my life. Therefore, who can I show that? Who, who can I demonstrate that to this week? Christ's love, it adds compassion to my life. Who can I show compassion to this week? Christ's love, it adds grace to my life. Who around me needs grace? Christ's love adds community. Who around me is lonely and in need of that? But hear this, believer. I think we need to be loving. We need to be compassionate. We need to be overflowing with grace in all of the things, accepting, forgiving. And there will be times that we need others to do the same. But here's the last thing. When you think back to John's tragic example of Cain and Abel, when Cain slaughtered his brother, and God asked him, where is your brother? And John's, or Cain says to him, am I my brother's keeper? But John doesn't, or God doesn't directly answer him. But I think the rest of the Bible has been answering that question over and over with an emphatic yes. You are your brother's keeper. That we need to remember that we are to be here for each other. That I think there is a death that we can experience in this life. And it happens if we only live for ourselves. So this week, here's the challenge. Have eyes to see people this week. Slow down for just a moment just to see people. And then start maybe with those right in your home. Do something this week to love them individually. To show them that in a very personal way. Maybe someone in this church. And think of someone, have eyes to see someone in this church that you could show this love to. Or maybe outside. Maybe it's a neighbor, a co-worker, a complete stranger to do something to show them this command of loving one another. But I know this. You're going to get busy. You're going to simply leave here in just a few moments and you'll almost forget everything that I've said. I, I know that. I have no you know, illusion to that's kind of what happens. But I think it will only happen if we become like John. I believe that John was completely destroyed at the foot of the cross, when he realized that Jesus wasn't just dying for the sins of the world, he was dying for mine. That he was destroyed at the foot of the cross and realized that, wait, I'm the one that is putting him there. So I think it isn't until we're like John that we find ourselves at the foot of the cross completely destroyed that we can really begin to understand what love is and realize that he isn't just dying for the world, for all the brothers. He's dying for me. And it isn't just people 2,000 years ago that put him there. It was me. And when we begin to realize that, I think we would come like John, because it isn't until we're destroyed at the foot of the cross that we can really love in the way that Jesus calls us to. So like John, I hope...
this week we can truly see people. Because I believe this is a message that our world needs. That we would love one another and wrap our lives around that and live that well. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.